Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with wilderness guide and leadership coach Dom Franks. He is the founder and lead guide for a regenerative leadership program, a four-month transformative journey for adventurous professionals and leaders who are ready to discover a deeper way of being. Blending leadership coaching with a unique off-trail wilderness backpacking expedition, it supports members in stepping into vibrant aliveness and service. He's led wilderness immersions in remote locations, including Patagonia and Alaska, and has held leadership roles at climate tech companies, serving as chief of staff at Terramera and head of product at Solera Energy. In his past life, he was also captain of the Stanford University golf team. He's got a lot of great stories. Enjoy. Well, hey, man, it's great to meet you. I want to begin our conversation with surviving the last three and a half years or so. How did you get through the pandemic and how did it subsequently change you? Yeah, the pandemic was a bit of a pivot point for me. Um, actually, when I uh, I was in Patagonia guiding a series of week-long wilderness expeditions, and I remember we went into the field on March 7th, and then we looked at our phones and was like, okay, this COVID thing seems like maybe a problem. People are talking about it. And then we came out a week later and I had all these texts from my family and friends just saying like, get home now. Like they're going to close the border, whatever you need to do. And so it was, you know, it was an intense process to get home. And then the season of guiding for Outward Bound that I had had scheduled got entirely canceled because they just canceled all the outdoor education uh, programs. And so I ended up moving into uh, a chief of staff role at a climate tech company. So actually the cl- the pandemic at its beginning ended up sort of drawing me back into the climate tech side of my career, as opposed to the wilderness guide side, uh, which I can get into a little bit more later. But when I think back about how I navigated the last three and a half years, I mean, it's really come down to spending a lot of time outside. I've chosen to live in places that have like great access to the natural world. And I feel like after the initial sort of three months where we didn't have a lot of information, but probably made some poor decisions on saying that you shouldn't go outside and closing national parks and whatnot. Um, that was like the way to continue to remain um, sort of both social and active and happy for me was to be climbing, skiing, running all yeah. that. So let's get to the heart and soul of what you do on a daily basis for a living. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders. It's career day. And one of them is curious and says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? Uh, I would say something. I don't think their teacher would necessarily love this answer. But <laughs> I would say something like, do you like sitting in your desk all day? Does that does that make you inspired? Uh, and I imagine many third graders would say no. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah. So I help adults that feel the same way reconnect to the natural world and feel more of a sense of aliveness by giving them a something like extended recess, but then allowing them to come back into their classroom with more energy um, to be able to pay attention and get good grades and do the things they want to do in the world. So what did you want to be in the third grade? What was your dream to grow up and become? Oh, the only things that I thought about growing up were sports. Yeah. Uh, I think, I don't think I had a non-sports thought for maybe the first like 11 to 12 years of my life. Okay. Uh, and I did end up playing golf in college at a pretty high level. So I did pursue that pretty far. Um, but yeah, in third grade, probably would have been a baseball player. Yeah. So if you could go back in time and see any game with your own eyes in the history of sports, where are you going? Oh, you know, the one that immediately comes to mind, I did see it with my own eyes on TV, but being there in person would have been incredible. It was the World Cup final from last year. I'm actually not 
I'm not a soccer fan really, but I was watching that game and, you know, talking to the people around me, I was like, this might be the greatest game in any sport ever, given like all the storylines and how much, how dramatic it was and just the scale of it, like the whole world is watching. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the answer yeah. that most comes to mind. That's a great answer. So how did you get to, how did you get to this point? Tell me where you were born and raised and how the outdoors became your passion and ultimately your profession. Totally. So I grew up in Olympia, Washington, uh, and we would spend a lot of time camping as a kid. So I like the concept of sleeping outside, being in the forest a lot was not a new concept to me. Um, and then when I was in middle school, a couple of things happened. One, uh, they showed us the film An Inconvenient Truth, uh, which do you remember that movie? Is a climate yeah. change documentary? Yeah. yeah. So that movie like scared me so badly that I fainted in the classroom. Wow. Uh, it was like my body just couldn't handle the reality of what was happening to our planet. And I remember my dad picking me up from school because they sent me home. And I was describing to him this. And he's like, well, when you grow up, like you should do something about it. And that moment like really stuck with me. Yeah. And so ever since then, I think I, I used to maybe would have described it as I want to help us solve the climate crisis. While that's important, I think now I would say I want to help us like reconnect or heal our relationship with the natural world. Yeah. Um, and so I've been weaving in uh, sort of my continued pursuit of uh, connection with wilderness as part of that reconnection with the natural world. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting because I remember Al Gore was pivotal in making that film and he came out and had a, a network. That was how I kind of really got back into journalism. He had current TV and they did a lot of very eco-friendly reporting and there was a lot of things that they did. So, yeah, I, I know that whole era and, and all of that. That was a pretty stark show. I remember watching that even as an adult thinking, my God, we're well, destroying. I think, you know, two things on that. I think one... I think a lot of the thinking and honestly, like academic research around communication about climate change has shifted since yeah. that movie. We've realized like you, it, it worked for me, but for many people, like trying to scare people does not work. Uh, and so we need to like point towards solutions and talk about how actually like many of our lives will be much better if we're addressing the climate crisis, if we're in more connection to the natural world, because, you know, while we're the most materially abundant, uh, people ever to walk this earth we have like epidemics of loneliness we're stuck in our screens like i think many people have the sense that we're overall less happy despite our material abundance yeah and i think pointing towards the way that we can solve a lot of our ecological problems while also increasing our quality of life is really the pathway forward yeah uh and just to circle back on the al gore point the the like second half of the story is that when i was at stanford uh, I, I organized a climate action rally with the Climate Reality Project, which was Al Gore's um, organization. And he actually came to be the keynote speaker. Cool. And so I got to introduce him with the story of fainting during his film. And then, uh, you know, welcome him on the stage. Like the first thing he said was, just to be clear, that was not the intention of the film. We we're not trying to like <laughs> yeah. make, make sixth graders lose consciousness. Um, but it was cool to have that full circle moment. Yeah, I did actually see him when he campaigned in 2000. I went downtown Kansas City and mm. saw him and the weirdest thing was i had an old pentax k1000 and the secret service agents lifted the camera up and took a picture like at me because sometimes they can have things in them so they were like if you got something in here 
it's going right back at you. <laughs> Whoa. But it was, yeah, it was wild, but it was a great rally. And, um, at that time, I think we all felt as though the, the, the luster of Clinton was going to carry over. We had no idea that the hanging Chad was going to be the theme of that whole era, you know? So it was wild. Yeah. I, I was not immediately connected with politics in that era, but one of the things I do know is that Al Gore took a break from his campaign to climb Mount Rainier with his son, which is something that inspires me. And I think is like, yeah, pretty admirable to, to have that dedication both to your family and to like adventure. Absolutely. Well, so speaking of hero talk, Who's a hero for you? Who's been a hero for you in your life? That's a great question. The first person that comes to mind. And when I, when you say hero, I think about like, who do I feel has lived a well-lived life? Uh, and who, who like would I trade places with essentially? And aren't that many people. Um, one that comes to mind, actually the two that come to mind are both authors. <clears throat> one is Kim Stanley Robinson. He is a sci-fi author uh, who, mostly sci-fi, who wrote uh, his most famous book is The Ministry for the Future, which is an incredible uh, book about the possible like near and medium term consequences of climate change. But I first got introduced to him by reading his Mars trilogy, which is an incredible long exploration of uh, the like political, social and, and ecological impacts of possibly terraforming Mars. But he also wrote a book recently called The High Sierra, A Love Story, which is just about his 40 years of spending three weeks to a month per year backpacking in the High Sierra, which is my favorite place in the world. Yeah. And so I feel both like his books have shaped the way that I understand climate and ecology and sociology and reading his, I read his The High Sierra, A Love Story while on a five-day solo trip in the Sierras last summer. And I was just falling so deeply in love with those mountains. So in terms of like someone who has had an incredible impact on the world, produced great art, and also had a ton of adventures, like Dan is definitely a hero of mine. So who would you love to meet? If if you could meet one person alive on the planet right now, you may have already answered it. Who would it be? Well, I've met Stan virtually a couple of times. Um, If I could meet one person, you know, the immediate person that comes to mind, which I think if I had more time might not be the answer is Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Because I mean, I admire what she's doing, but I'm also, I also just would be curious to like feel what it's like to meet her in person. Cause it just seems like she has such a particular energy and view on the world that is so needed, but also so um, unique. Yeah. And so I wonder, I wonder who I might become or what my world, how my worldview might shift. Yeah. from meeting her. Yeah, that's interesting. So of all of the places that you've been to, what was one of the more beautiful, magical places you just didn't expect? That I didn't expect. Yeah, well, that I didn't expect is, I think, is the tricky part. Um, I mean, I, I think the High Sierra is a is a pretty good answer to that question yeah. in that it's, it's somehow it's right in the middle of the U.S., but it's pretty... I find underappreciated. Yeah. Like a lot of people know about Yosemite, but there's so many areas in the high Sierra that are equally as spectacular with these sheer granite walls and these incredible high Alpine meadows. And it's, they're the best, the best mountains in the world for off trail backpacking for a number of reasons, but it's just really easy to walk around in them. 
And also there's very few roads that go through them. So it's a wilderness area, the size of Switzerland, which is different than the Rockies, different than the Cascades, different to the Tetons, like any other mountains in the lower 48 that you could name. And so I find there's something particularly special about walking through the high Sierra. And the other answer to that question, I've spent a lot of time guiding and exploring Patagonia, but I feel like Patagonia has been like, um, people know about it and they know like, okay, jagged, like jagged granite peaks and beautiful high Alpine lakes. And I went there and Patagonia is stunning and it's like beautiful jagged peaks, high Alpine lakes, what you expect it to be. Yeah, for sure. So of all of the things that you've done professionally, what are you the proudest of? What stands out? Well, I'm the proudest of actually the program that I'm currently launching, uh, which uh, is the Vivify Regenerative Leadership Program. And it'll be live by the time that this interview goes live. And it's really a integration of everything that I've done so far. So I think it's the clear answer to this question. Yeah. Um, and what it is, is a four-month like transformative coaching and wilderness program that has a week-long off-trail backpacking trip in the Sierras in it. And it's designed for folks sort of, like I said, when I was explaining how I explained this to a third grader, like it's designed for folks who have been found some professional success, but are just feeling a sense of like, is this really all there is? Am I just going to like sit behind a screen uh, the rest of my life and people who see the crises in our world and want to do something meaningful that's authentic to them about it rather than becoming overwhelmed and turning away or feeling like unless they solve the problem themselves, they're not enough. Yeah. And so Vivify is really a bridge between the decade I've spent working in climate tech and also building a parallel career as a wilderness guide and a coach. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of, of the like curriculum and the cohort that we're putting together and really excited to continue to share it with the world. So what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Hmm. I think the best advice I've ever gotten so it comes from Bill Plotkin, who wrote a series of books on like the journey of soul initiation, just sort of a, a discovering of ourselves through deeper connection with the natural world. And the advice that really resonated with me is like, there are some things that you won't be able to figure out with your rational mind. There's some things that you need other ways of knowing, whether it's your emotions uh, your physical sensations or your imagination. I think your imagination is one that gets uh, underutilized in our world. And that advice has helped me really be able to relax the intensity of my mental chatter that's constantly trying to rationalize things and instead open into a more spacious and intuitive way of moving through the world, which has had dramatic effects not only on my well-being, but actually the amount of creativity that I've been able to offer to the projects and the people in my life. So let's say you have a dream tonight. You run into the 20-year-old version of you, and you could give that young version of you a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained, the life you've led. What advice would you impart on that young version of you? Something like breathe. There's not actually a moment in the path that I've walked that I would say, do this differently. Yeah. Because even the moments that were uncomfortable, I can see the value of them now. But I think there is a way that I could have been more accepting and present with whatever was happening. Yeah. Uh, rather than being like, um, 
one of the most powerful sort of meditative instructions that I've ever received was I was doing a, like a half day silent retreat with a teacher named Locke Kelly. And about half an hour into the first meditation, he said, what is here when there is no problem to solve? And I just burst into tears because it just unlocked the fact that like I had been spending 95% of my life solving the next problem. And I find whenever I say that to people, it's like, when you bring attention to it, it's like, we're always solving a problem. And so my advice to my, my past self would be, yeah, like we need to navigate life. We need to solve problems, but remember to give yourself a break from that and just breathe into the moment that you're in. So everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, all of, all of your clients, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? I think I'm doing my damnedest to bring the wisdom of the mountains into the daily lives of the people around me. And I'm not perfect and I'm learning, but that is what I'm really dedicating myself to is learning from what uh, David Abram calls the more than human world and trying to be a channel for that wisdom to uh, the humans that I care about. And yeah, if I can get slightly closer to that every day, then that's a good day. So let's say a time machine pulls up after we get off this call and you can go anywhere in history, anywhere in time and see one event in human history with your own eyes. Where are you going? It's, I don't know if it's an event, but I would love to spend time with hunter gatherers. And I know that there still are hunter gatherers in this world. And I'm, I'm, I have some plans to go spend some time uh, studying that way of life in the future. But there's something about it. One of my favorite podcasts is the Emerald podcast, which is an exploration of mythology uh, and how it affects the modern world. And within one of the episodes, he has this sort of repetitive phrase. It's like, what would it be like to experience the world, to experience the unbroken world with an unfractured mind? Yeah. To like look over the next hill and know that there is truly nothing but just the natural world there. And so rather than an event, it's just a, I, I would want to understand what it might be like to experience an unbroken world with an unfractured mind. Yeah. Well said. That's great. I, I, my mind's just totally roiling over that. So if anyone wants to get involved with your new program, they want to reach out, they want to learn more about you, where is the best place to go? Yeah. So domfranks.com slash Vivify is going to be the landing page uh, for the Vivify Regenerative Leadership Program. I also write on Substack at domfranks.substack.com, or I'm sure if you just search Domfranks Substack, you'll find it. Um, I don't have a particularly strong presence on any of the social media platforms. So Substack and my landing page are the best way to, uh, get in touch. And also if anyone wants to just reach out directly, uh, there's a link on that page and I would love to hear from, uh, any of your listeners. Right on. This has been so refreshing and good. Tom, thank you so much for your story, for your time. Have a great 2024, man. 
Amazing. Thank you so much, Joe. Awesome to be with you. Appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. 